Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Hey, so I have uh, a confession to make to you all, and that confession is this. Uh, Completely unprompted and all alone the other day, I watched the Taylor Swift documentary and loved it. 35-year-old guy, married, three kids and a dog, living my best life watching Taylor Swift. It was great. I know some of you right now are thinking to yourself, the only real confession you need to make is that you're nine months late to the party. I get it. Uh, It's good. It's worth watching. And and the reason, among many, I think that it's worth watching is that because uh, it, it gives a pretty honest look into the life of Taylor Swift. You know, at several points, she's She's pretty honest, she's pretty vulnerable about her life and her experience as a growing celebrity. Um, and, and I think it's interesting because it, it gives us a window into what her life is like, in, in many ways, a life that most of us could only ever dream of. And, and you know what's interesting is the more that I watched it, the more that I saw, the more that I listened, the more I realized that you know, setting aside all of the differences, right? There are many differences, the, the fame and the money and the glamour, all of that. Set all that aside, and what you really have is someone who is a lot like you and me. You have someone who's looking for something to make her happy. You have something, or someone who is looking for something to validate her, someone who's looking for, for a place to belong, We all want those things, don't we? We want to be happy. We want to belong. We want to be validated. Uh, Listen to this quote. It's, It's something that I've been thinking about the last several days. Talking about her life, she said this. She said, my life had never been better. I'd won album of the year at the Grammys for a second time, which I never thought was a possibility. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, my God, that was all you ever wanted. Oh, God, that was all... You wanted. That was all you focused on. And then she goes on and she says, you, you get to the mountaintop and you look around and you're like, oh God, what now? That's a really interesting quote, isn't it? I mean, here you have Taylor Swift who says, her words not mine, all she ever wanted was to get to the top. All she ever wants is to get to the top of that mountain. And she gets there, right? She gets there, but then she gets there and she looks around and she realizes, what now? What now? See, being at the top of that mountain, all she ever wanted, all she ever focused on, it wasn't what she really wanted at all. What Taylor Swift thought she wanted wasn't what she really wanted at all. You see, I think what God wants to teach us tonight is that the same thing is true in our lives. What, what you and I think we want isn't what we really want. What you and I think we want isn't what we really want at all. So what do we really want? What do we really want? Well, that's the answer that we get from our passage this evening. In it, Jesus asks a man a question. 
And, and Jesus, you know, loved to ask people questions, but, but Jesus didn't ask questions because Jesus didn't know the answers. It wasn't, Jesus doesn't ask questions often because he needs the answer. No, he asks questions because he wants the person he's talking to to hear their own response. And I think tonight Jesus wants us to hear this man's response. We'll pick up the story in John chapter 5, verse 1. John says this, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. You know, it's really interesting about these verses. Historians and scholars in the 18th and 19th century, they said that these verses, those three verses, really this story in John chapter 5, it, 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 they used it to argue against the validity of the Bible. They used this story to say that, that we can't trust the, the Bible historically because they would say that uh, this pool that John mentions in chapter 5 didn't exist. That there is no physical evidence to suggest that there is ever a pool of Bethesda near the place that John says there was. And so this story is obviously made up. And if John is making up this story, if John is talking about a pool that doesn't really exist, then we shouldn't trust him. We shouldn't trust his gospel. We shouldn't read it. Which of course would be true if it were right. But then archaeologists found it. Here's a, here's a photo that my wife, I think we have, yeah, we have it. My wife took this. Uh, we were in Israel a few years ago. Someone's going to roast me later for saying that as if I'm flexing. I'm just trying to teach the Bible, man. Uh, it's kind of difficult to know what you're looking at here. But basically at the bottom of that pit is, is a part of the, the southern pool of Bethesda. What's happened is that over time... Uh, the pool broke apart, and things were built on top of it. Everything in Israel, Israel, things are built on top. And so essentially what happened is it took archaeologists, it took these historians and scholars, it took them a long time to actually find it because it was so far under the ground, but they did. Why, why am I telling you that? Why show that? Why talk about this? Well, I, I want us to see that John is talking about a real place, a real place with real people. A real place with real people, a real moment in time. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. No, John is telling us history. And I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we gloss over small details like the name of a, of a, of a pool near a gate in a city called Jerusalem. But, but what I want us to see is that naming small details like that actually give us confidence that we can trust the reliability of John's eyewitness testimony. We have every reason to trust that what we're reading when we read the Bible is right and true. And in this particular case, John's eyewitness testimony tells us around this particular pool are, are people with all sorts of disabilities. One of those people, John 5 verse 5, he says, One who is there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. Think about that for a second. 38 years. That's longer than, than many people lived in the ancient world. 38 years, that was his condition. Now, now, what do you think that that man wanted? Think about it for a second. Put yourself in his shoes. Imagine what life must have been like. Imagine how physically grueling life would have been. Imagine how ex emotionally exhausting it must have been. Imagine the frustration of not being able to do things 
for yourself. Imagine the futility of it all. See, for 38 years, this guy's been lying there. He's been, he's been hoping, he's been wishing, he's been wanting that, that something would help him, that he would be healed, but it hasn't happened. Nothing's happened. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, I want us to catch something. Notice that this, this encounter that Jesus has with this man, if, you, if you're familiar at all with the Gospels, you know that, that this is actually a little bit different than a lot of the times that Jesus encounters people, especially in these, these healing-type stories, because often when people want something from Jesus, what do they do? They seek him out. Right, so, so you see in one case, you see men break a hole in a roof of a building so that they can lower their paralyzed friend down so that Jesus can heal him. In another case, you see a mother plead with Jesus to heal her sick daughter. At one point, you see an official, he, he finds Jesus and, and he begs Jesus to save his dying son. Another time, there's a woman who's been suffering for, for many, many years, and, 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 and she risks public shame and embarrassment. She runs through a crowd of people, which she shouldn't have done, but she does it because she's desperate for Jesus to heal her. See, all those people, and, and often that's what happened, people would seek out Jesus, but, but what does this man do in this story? What does this man do? He doesn't do anything right. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't come to Jesus. Actually, later in this story, we're told that this man didn't even know who Jesus was. So here you have a guy who has a big problem. He can't fix himself. He hasn't gotten his life straightened out. He, he's not asking Jesus to heal him. Doesn't reach out to Jesus whatsoever. And yet, what does Jesus do? He reaches out to him and he asks him a really important question. He says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? See, maybe you're here tonight, and, and you're in kind of a different way, but, but similar. You're, you're a lot like this guy. You aren't really looking for Jesus. You're not really looking for Jesus. You don't think that, that you really want Jesus, but, but hear me say this. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you, and he knows what you really want. And he's been asking you that question, do you want to get well? You aren't sure that it's been him asking, but it's in the back of your mind. It's been in the back of your mind, and now here you are on a Tuesday night. You usually have plans. You usually have something to do, but here you are at Veritas. Jesus is talking to you. Do you want to get well? Or maybe you're here tonight, and, and, and you really do want Jesus, genuinely. You really want Jesus, but you've told yourself for far too long that you just need to clean yourself up for Jesus. You need to fix yourself. You need to get your life straightened out because you're too messy, too complicated, too broken. And so you've got to make yourself okay. You've got to fix yourself. You've got to make yourself clean. But it's been how many years now, and you're just still lying there beside a pool, spiritually paralyzed. Jesus is asking you, do you want to get well? Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, have no one helped me get into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Wait, what? Okay, so, so pause. Jesus asks a guy who's, who's been in a bad place for 38 years, do you want help? And the guy's response is, yeah, I want help. Could you help me down into the water? What's he, what, what, 
what on earth is going on? So, so in Jesus' day, there's a popular myth about this pool, right? And, and what, what, what happened with this, this particular pool is that for whatever reason, every so often the waters would get stirred. The waters would, would be stirred. There'd be kind of a, a disturbance in the water in this pool. Not really sure why. Some people actually thought that it was angels that were stirring the water. I know it sounds a little crazy. But, but whatever, whatever it was, whatever was causing this disturbance in the water, this myth, this popular myth at the time claimed that, that whenever that water got stirred, healing powers would be brought to the water. And then the first person into the water, after the water had been stirred, after the healing powers had been brought to the water, the first person in would get healed or cured of whatever disease or illness they had. And so it kind of makes sense, right, that we, we get a little picture into why all of these people are laying around this particular pool. They all want to be healed of something. They all want to be healed of something. But it's a cultural myth, of course. The promise that, that what you really want, what you really need is this, get this, and you'll be happy. Get this and you'll be well. But this guy's saying to Jesus, I can't get it. I can't get into the water. I don't have anyone to help me. I'm isolated. I'm alone. I'm desperate. I just want someone to help me into the water so that all of my problems can go away and my life will be the way that I want it. See, but what he thinks he really, what, what he thinks he wants is not what he really wants. Jesus knew what he really wanted. Jesus knew what he really needed. What he needed was Jesus to make him well, not some cultural myth. And so he says to him in verse 8, Jesus said to him, he says, get up, take your bed, walk. At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. See, with the power of his word, and after all, Remember from John 1, Jesus is the word, right? The word who became flesh. With the power of his word, Jesus speaks and he tells the man to do something that's been unthinkable, something that's been impossible for the last 38 years of his life. He says, get up. He looks at him and he says, get up, take your bed and walk. It's interesting, isn't it? For the last 38 years, this guy thought that his biggest problem that, that what he really wanted was to just get into that pool so that he could be healed. And what he really wanted was Jesus. He just didn't know it. What he wanted to be healed and what he really wanted was Jesus. He just didn't know it. See, what we think we want isn't what we really want. What is it that you want? If you're honest with yourself, you're sitting there right now, you're thinking about these things. What is it that you want? What's that magic water? The proverbial pool, the, the cultural myth that, that you think if you get down into your life, well, it'll be all better. It'll finally be the way that you want it to be. You'll get what you really want. Well, if I could find more friends. If I had less anxiety. Maybe if I could find a boyfriend or a girlfriend. If I could lose a few pounds. If I had less stress in my life, if I had alcohol, sex, money, if I had more accomplishments so that I could be seen, if I could get to a new city after I graduate, if I had stability, if I had comfort, if I had a cure, what is it? What is it that you think you want right now? If you got that thing, life would be so much better. What is it that you want? What is it that you really want? Do you, do you magic water? 
or Jesus? See, sometimes I think, myself included, sometimes I think we say we want Jesus. Jesus is the right answer. We're here at a worship service for, for you know, right? Like, so, so, yeah, of course we say we want Jesus. But if we're really honest, we're just using Jesus in the same way the guy was, right? We're using Jesus to get down into the water. We're using Jesus to get that thing that we want. Yeah, Jesus, I want help. Could you help me down into the water? Could you help me get a good grade? Could you help me land that internship? Could you help me fix my problems? Could you make my life go so much better? You see, I think we treat Jesus sometimes like he's a vending machine. We hit a button and out comes that thing that we think that we want. And again, for what it's worth, I say we, right? Because I'm just as guilty of these things. I'm, I'm not saying anything to you that I'm not saying to myself. Because the longer that I've been a Christian, the more I realize how tempting these cultural myths really are. How tempting that, that magic water really is. The, the thing that I think I want, it's, it's tempting me. And you know what? To be honest, sometimes we get it, right? We get that thing that we think we want. And maybe a little bit like Taylor Swift, when we actually get it, we start looking around and realize, this isn't what I really want. This isn't what I really want at all. What now? See, do you want Jesus or do you want the things that you think Jesus can get you? Do you want Jesus or do you want the things that you think Jesus can get you? Jesus or that relationship? Jesus or family? Jesus or self-esteem? Jesus or a better reputation? Jesus or comfort? Of course, it doesn't have to be either or, right? It doesn't have to be either or. None of those things are bad. None of those things are wrong. None of those things we should feel bad about wanting. But I say those things because I think what we think we want isn't what we really want. And Jesus knows what we really want. Why? Because Jesus created us. Jesus is our creator, and he created us with the wants. He created us with the desires that we have because Jesus knows what we really want is him. That thing we think we want, it's not going to solve our problems. It's not going to make everything better. The happiness that it does bring, because sometimes we get that thing, and it makes us a little bit happy, right? Maybe a lot happy, but eventually that happiness fades off, and what now? And I need something else. See, that thing we think we want, it's not going to make us better. It's not going to make us well. Look, look what, what happens after Jesus heals the man. John uh, 5.14. John says this. Later, Jesus found the man in the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. My son Jack, he's four, super into soccer these days, uh, like treats practice like it's a World Cup qualifier, um, loves it. And, uh, you know, when we get to practice or when we get to a game, pretty much every time what he does is he's sitting in the back seat, rips off his seatbelt, throws the door open, and just bolts for the field. And he did this the other day. For whatever reason, though, uh, I actually got out of the car first. And so I had come around the car, and, and, and he got out and started to run. And what he didn't see that I could see is that a car was coming around another parked vehicle. And just at the last moment, I lunged at him, and I grabbed his arm, and I yanked him out of the way. Now, I don't know if he really would have run out in front of that car, but it seemed like at the time, reaching out and grabbing my four-year-old son, who was just excited to get to the practice field, was saving him from getting really hurt, right? 
It was preventing him from, from a situation that could have been really, really bad. Now, I think in a different kind of way, Jesus is doing the exact same thing when he finds this man in the temple. When he says to him, stop sinning or something worse may happen. I realize that's intense. I, I realize that that's kind of like, whoa, Jesus, calm down. Right? We don't like that. Stop sinning or something worse, man. We don't, we don't like that. But, but I think what Jesus is doing for this guy, I think he's reaching out. I think he's grabbing his arm, and I think he's steering away from danger. I think he's steering him away from the wrong path, the wrong kind of thinking that's characterized his life for the last 38 years. See, for 38 years, this man thought that the worst thing that could happen to him, that his biggest problem was that he had a disability that made him socially outcast and alone. And Jesus looks at the man and, and he heals him. But, but catch this, he, he's not done making him well. Jesus isn't done with him. Because amidst the crowd, there are people everywhere. Amidst the crowd, Jesus finds him again. This time, though, he tells him that physical healing isn't what he needed most. Physical healing isn't what he needed most. He had a far bigger par- problem, a far deeper sickness, a spiritual sickness that he couldn't see. Hundred or so years ago, editors of a newspaper in the UK uh, they they threw out a question and they invited thinkers, writers, people from all over uh, to weigh in on it. And the question was, uh, "What's wrong with the world?" Imagine a newspaper doing that nowadays. The kinds of responses that we get, right? But a hundred years ago, people write, and the, and the responses to the question they range from from sickness to war to to uh, economic disparity to lack of education. These are you know long-winded answers that people are submitting, and and all on these topics. And and then there was a Christian author, G.K. Chesterton. He came along and, and he decided he was going to answer that question, except he didn't give a long-winded answer. It wasn't about war and economic disparity and, and, and these kinds of things. He just wrote four words to the question, what's wrong with the world? He said, dear sirs, I am. Dear sirs, I am what's wrong with the world. See, it's interesting. This question that Jesus is asking this man, this question that I think Jesus is asking us tonight, do you want to get well, it only really makes sense if we're sick, doesn't it? It only really makes sense to ask if we want to get well if we're sick. But what G.K. Chesterton knew and what Jesus knows and what he was pointing out to the man in John chapter 5, and I think to us, is that every single one of us is sick whether we know it or not. That every single one of us suffers from a spiritual sickness, something far worse than an unhappy relationship, something far worse than a medical diagnosis, something far worse than the betrayal of a friend or loneliness or the loss of status in an organization, worse than the sleepless nights of anxiety. Now, of course, those are real problems. I'm not trying to undermine those problems. They're real problems, significant problems. But, but what Jesus is saying is that none of those problems are anything compared to the damage that sin does in our lives. None of those problems compare at all to the damage that sin does in our lives, not just our lives, in the, li- the lives of people around us. Maybe you saw this picture several years ago. Uh, it was taken at a relatively normal but often busy uh, intersection in a city of in Japan, and everything appeared normal until one day uh, the asphalt caved in and that happened. Right? Giant hole. Of course, uh, it was a sinkhole. Cars fell into it. People said that it came out of nowhere. 
but actually they were wrong, right? This hole appeared suddenly, but the process, the more they looked into it, the more that they investigated what had gone wrong, they realized that the process leading up to that hole opening up at that intersection had been going on for years. Beneath the surface, the ground had been slowly eroding. It was invisible, of course, from above, but really beneath the surface, it was there all along. See, I think this is exactly what sin is like in our lives. Maybe you don't realize it. Maybe you can't see it, but it's there. It's invisible from the outside, but, but what sin is doing, it's, it's slowly eroding our hearts, slowly eroding our thoughts, slowly eroding our attitudes and our actions. It starts off invisible and small, but slowly over time, that hole, it gets bigger and bigger until you're, one day your life starts caving in. You can't contain it anymore. People are falling into it, yourself, them, getting hurt. The Bible teaches, it's a hard thing, right? The Bible teaches us, though, that, that sin always destroys. Sin always damages. It always distorts. It always deceives. It always brings destruction in our lives. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we take sin pretty lightly. But that's how the Bible talks about sin. And it's precisely why it's not just the sickness of our bodies, real sickness of our bodies that Jesus wants to heal. It's not just the sickness of our relationships that Jesus wants to cure. No, Jesus wants to heal the spiritual sickness that you and I have. That's what we really need. We need Jesus to heal our spiritual sickness. See, let me just say, Jesus is not surprised by our sin. Jesus is not surprised by your sin. Our sin, it's not invisible to him. No, of course Jesus sees it. We can't hide it. Of course Jesus sees it, and, and Jesus hates it. We need to acknowledge that. Jesus hates our sin. But you know what? Jesus came to die for that sin. And a few days after his death, he rose from the grave so that he could heal us for all eternity. See, one day Jesus is going to look at all of us, all of us who believe in him. He's going to look at us and he's going to say those words that he said to that man in John chapter 5. He's going to say, get up. Get up and come home. Look at verse 24 later in the chapter. Jesus is talking, teaching. He says this. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself. He's given him authority to judge because why? He's the Son of Man. See, Jesus is telling us tonight that what we think we want isn't what we really want. What we really want, what we really need more than anything else is something that only Jesus can give us. Jesus is teaching us that, that cultural myths, they don't heal, they don't bring lasting happiness. They make promises that they can't actually keep. Most of them actually make us far sicker. And so when we fall into that trap of thinking that all we need to do is get into the water, what really happens is that year after year, we just find ourselves laying beside a pool spiritually paralyzed. And if you've realized that in your own life, 
you probably realize that it's completely exhausting. It's grueling. It's lonely. See, Jesus is offering you. He's offering me. He's offering us. He's offering you more. He's offering you healing. He's offering you a cure. Why? Because Jesus is offering you himself. He's offering you himself. What you think you want isn't what you really want. What you really want is Jesus. Now, now maybe because you're here after all, maybe what I'm saying, you're tracking with me. You're, you're convinced. This is true. You're, you're, yes, okay, okay, okay. But like me, maybe, sometimes there's a gap between what we know and what we do. Right? So like for me, I, I know that I shouldn't eat junk food, but, but I just, I love junk food, right? That's just true. Maybe it's true for you. I don't know. Right? There's a gap between what I know and what I do. And so in order to eat healthier, I have to actually do it. I have to create new habits. I have to train myself to develop new tastes. So as crazy as it sounds, I actually crave healthy food over junk food. See, cultural myths, they're tempting because they taste good. They taste really good in the moment. But then you get them. And after a while, you realize all they're doing to you is just wasting you away. So you think you want sugar. You think you want pop culture. You think you want this. You think you want that. And what you really want is your creator. What you really want is water. What you really want is the bread of life. What you really want is Jesus. See, what we think we want isn't what we really want. What we really want is Jesus. So Jesus asked that man that day, and he's asking you, he's asking me, he's saying to us, do you want to get well? And I think if the answer to that question is yes, I think if you're sitting there and you're honestly saying to yourself, yes, I want to get up and walk at the sound of Jesus' voice in my life, then I think what's going to have to happen is I think you're going to have to develop new habits. I think what you're going to have to do is develop new tastes for him. How do we do that? Well, there are all sorts of things that I could say, but what if you did this? What if you just start really small this week? What if you did this? What if you memorized this Bible verse, John 6, 35? I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What if you memorized that verse this week? And every time you eat or drink something, every time you're tempted to, to, to want the cultural miss, every time you catch yourself longing for, hoping for something else, you say that Bible verse to yourself. You think to yourself, I, this isn't what I want. What I really want is living water. What I really want is the bread of life. What I really want is Jesus. What if you did that? See, as, as the music comes up, music team, not music comes up, music team. As the music team comes up, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, what difference would it make in your life if you made that tiny little step this week? Memorize a Bible verse and repeat it to yourself day after day after day. This isn't what I want. This is what I want. I wonder what kind of difference it would make in the lives of this community, Veritas. If we were people, if we were a group of people, if we were a community of people on campus in Columbia that, that were increasingly resisting the sugar of pop culture in favor of the bread of life, that we were increasingly resisting the sugar of pop culture in favor of living water, 
Jesus is asking, do you want to get well? Do you want to hear the sound of Jesus' voice in your life? Do you want to get up? That's what Jesus is saying to you right now. That's what Jesus is saying to you right now. He's saying, get up. Get up. Turn from that thing that you think you want. Turn to me. Turn to Jesus, the one that you really want, the one that you really need. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.